Hey, this is the last day, the last Sunday of the Christian year, the Christian calendar. Uh, next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. That's the beginning of the Christian calendar year. And uh, you, you, some of you are going, what? what's this about? I, I know, uh, we don't talk about that a whole lot. But next week we start the countdown to Christmas, the celebration of Jesus' birth. But today we're celebrating Christ the King Sunday. Christ King, Jesus, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Um, I always think, boy, it is a good thing to remember before we get all, start all these little pictures of baby in the manger to remember who the baby in the manger is. He isn't just some cute, fat little kid. He's a... Well, we're going to talk about who he is. But before we do, I want to thank everybody for participating in uh, this uh, worship celebration of Christ the King. Whether you're online or on-site, thanks for, uh, for doing this. Um, nobody is more aware of the fact that you could be doing something else. Well, I should take that back. Jesus is probably more aware of the gazillion other things you could be doing. Uh, but uh, Jesus and I are glad you're participating. Yes, I dare to speak for him. That's one of the things I do. Um, so, I believe uh, we need a new position on prayer. I'm going to change that. We need a new position on prayer. And I'm not talking about a new position of our bodies when we pray. I I'm talking about we need a better answer to the question, why do you pray? Some of us might say that prayer makes us feel better makes us feel good. Uh, but the devotional uh, writer Oswald Chambers says, he just, he's real pointed. He just says, it's a mistake to say because prayer makes it, brings us peace and joy and makes us feel better. It's a divine thing. This is the mere accident or effect of prayer. There is no real God-given revelation in it. This is the God-given revelation, he says, that when we are born of the Spirit of God and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, he intercedes for us with a tenderness and an undertaking, an understanding similar to the Lord Jesus himself. And he intercedes for us. <clears throat> Prayer is more than just something that makes us feel good. At least it ought to be. Others might say that the reason they pray is because prayer changes things. 
I've gotten to the place where that makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. I'm trying to behave myself. Some of you are looking at me like, but I, I think that's true. God changes things, folks. He may answer prayer by changing things, but prayer doesn't change a cotton-picking thing. Oh, we'll go back to that thing we said before. Um, what, what if prayer's primary purpose, let me ask you this question, what if primary pur prayer's primary purpose is personal and relational? It's personal and relational. It's not about an exchange of, of, of requests for blessings. What, what if it's less about asking for things from God and more about building a relationship with God? What if it's less about seeking miracles and more about building a relationship with the miracle worker? I'm not opposed to miracles, by the way. Uh, I just prayed for some shortly before we began this message. But what if the reason we pray is to converse with Jesus and to experience his love, but that as we experience his love, things happen? I think we need a new position on prayer, and I have become assured of the following statements. There, there are things I have said in my life that I am not willing to fight and die for, and I'm not sure I'm really, well, I will fight for these things. Uh, so if you want to get into an argument, we can, but I don't want to do it right now because that would probably cause a disturbance. So let's just, just listen at this point, and then we can argue later. If you want to argue, my email address literally is pastormarkhaines at gmail.com. Um, here, here are some things that I would say in answer to the question of what I pray. I am certain, I am confidently certain that, first of all, each of us needs to grab hold of this truth. God is for us. In his letter to the, uh, the first century church in Rome, Paul asked some very powerful questions in in what we call Romans chapter 8. He says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Did you catch that? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. I love it when Bible authors write, ask a question and then answer it for us, because then I know I get the right answer. 
No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand, praying for us, pleading and interceding for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. <laughs> It's not exactly the way we thought he would end that, was it? <coughs> I mean, how can he say that? Pain and trouble don't feel much like love. I mean, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't make it on TV these days. If you're going to be on TV, you've got to tell everybody, God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life, and you are going to be so rich and healthy. <clears throat> I'm sorry. But this is what I want you to know, whether life is going well or not. This is why we are ambassadors of hope, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to talk to people about the real life, not something else. Whatever's going on in anybody's life, we can tell them this. God is for you. Whatever's going on, God is for you. And right now, whether you can hear it or not, Jesus is praying for you. You can tell the richest person that, and you can tell the poorest person that, you can tell the healthiest person or the sickest person you can tell the person who thinks they got their act together, the person who just realized they've hit rock bottom and have absolutely no idea how on earth they're ever going to get their life back together. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter who you are. God is for you. <clears throat> and Jesus is praying for you. You are not in this alone. <clears throat> that brings me to the second thing I'm sure of and now I'm sure that in this world we're going to have trouble and pain it is an unavoidable part of this world this world is broken and if we haven't figured it out yet this, I'm going to share with you what I call Jesus Jesus's most unpopular promise <clears throat> at least quoted promise, but it comes from John chapter 16. It's one of the last things Jesus said. It's part of his, uh, well, it's one of the things Jesus said to his disciples the night before he died. So in a sense, it's like in this deathbed conversation with his disciples. He said, in this world, you have trouble and suffering. 
but take courage, I have conquered the world. The other reason, another reason we are ambassadors of hope. In this world, you have trouble and suffering. No escape. Except, I've conquered it, Jesus says. God is for you. In this world, trouble and pain. Third thing, I believe more than ever before, we need to go to the cross to explore the depths of Jesus' faith. <clears throat> what if we start praying for God's will to be done the way Jesus prayed for it in the Garden of Gethsemane? You remember that prayer? Some of you do. Jesus prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup, take this coming experience of the cross and the crucifixion and all that comes about to happen. Take this from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. It sounds an awful lot like two lines that are in the prayer that he taught us to pray where he said, when he said, this is how you ought to pray, and he taught us, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is for us. This world is full of pain and trouble. We need to learn to stand at the foot of the cross to understand depths of Jesus' faith where we can say not your not my will but yours be done we are just as assured that we also need to go to the empty tomb to mine the riches of the resurrection what if what if God redeems every single thing we think is an unanswered prayer and makes it a huge win Let that question soak in. What if God takes every single thing that we think is an unanswered prayer and makes it a huge win? this week the last few weeks and months over, over and over many different occasions about many different things the story's not finished yet don't start putting 
the statement, the end yet. <clears throat> All the disciples, I am sure, went home after the stone was rolled in front of the tomb on Friday afternoon, good Friday afternoon, and Jesus' body was sealed into that tomb, and the Roman guards were standing there, and everybody knows good and well, and the body's dead, a body's dead, and there is no coming back. The only people who went to the tomb on Sunday morning were not going there expecting to see Jesus alive. They were going there to put spices on his body so he'd be embalmed and not stinky. Then they were upset because he was gone. What if God redeems every single thing we think is an unanswered prayer and makes it a huge win? We need to go to that empty tomb and just mind the riches. resurrection God is for us this world is full of trouble we need to go to the cross to, to plumb the depths of Jesus faith and trust God's will and not our own we need to go to the tomb the empty tomb to mine the riches of the resurrection I am convinced that our generation desperately needs to rediscover the difference uh, between praying for something and praying through for God's will. Author Mark Batterson reminds us that first of all, God is not a genie in a bottle and your wish, my wish, is not his command. His command needs to become our wish. His command better be our wish. If it's not, then you end up just walking in circles. Praying in circles. Praying through starts with discerning what God wants, what God wills, and until his will, he says, becomes your sanctified wish, your prayer life will be unplugged from his power supply. Getting what, getting what you want isn't the goal. The goal is glorifying God by praying until his promises, his miracles, and his dreams for what he wants happen. God is for us. This world is full of pain. How can you expect people to remember these things? Ah, we need to go to the cross to mine the depths of Jesus' faith. So we can trust God's will instead of our own. We need to go to the empty tomb to experience the riches of the resurrection. We need to rediscover the difference of praying for so that we can pray through. And we need to answer the question, why pray with the words of Pastor Jack Hayford? 
If we don't ask, God won't act. Now, some of you just got a little nervous, but James, who just happened to be also the brother of Jesus, half-brother, you want to be technical, in his letter to the first century church, James wrote these words, you do not have because you do not ask. in the Bible. <laughs> Author Wesley Duell wrote, God could have chosen otherwise, but he has chosen that the prayer of a righteous person will be powerful and effective. He has chosen that we will not have until we ask, that we will not have an open door until we knock, that we will not find until we seek. God always does far beyond what we ask for, but he nevertheless will not act until we ask. <laughs> not very efficient. That's my personal opinion. As a person who likes to see things getting done quickly, sometimes it's just not efficient to have to wait around for people to do stuff. But God does. He waits for us to. C.S. Lewis was a prolific English writer. He, he might be best known for uh, his books, The Chronicles of Narnia, and in particular the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that's been made into a movie multiple times. Um, in one of his books called Mere Christianity, Lewis declares, enemy-occupied territory. That is what this world is. Enemy-occupied territory. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say, landed in disguise and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage to reestablish his kingdom. So who is the rightful king? When did he start his invasion? And how can we take part in this great campaign of sabotage to reestablish his kingdom? Well, I'm going to take a few moments to introduce you to the rightful king. You've probably already guessed since we're in a Christian church of who it is. And I already told you what Sunday it is. But just in case... We're going to turn to the very last book of the Bible, in the Bible. It's the book of Revelation. Its correct title is the Revelation of Jesus Christ. The very first verse goes like this. The Revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. The Revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave, his, gave him to show his servants what was happened very soon. He made it clear by sending his angel to his servant John. The revelation of Jesus Christ is the title and it is both a means it is the revelation about Jesus and it is a revelation from <laughs> Jesus. Our problem has been, remains, and we've got to be very careful about this. We jump straight to the part about 
events that will happen soon. And we make the whole book about trying to figure out what's about to happen. The book does talk about things that are going to happen, that were happening and are going to happen. But the book is about Jesus first, last, and always. So, hold on to your hats. I'm going to answer the question, what does the Revelation tell us about Jesus without reading you the entire thing? Jesus is the one who has a firm grasp on the leaders of every congregation everywhere in the world. Jesus is the one who walks among all the congregations, every church, everywhere in the world. He has not forgotten or lost any of us. Jesus is the one who is the first and the last. Jesus is the one who was killed. Jesus is the one who was dead but came to life. Jesus is the one who has the sharp, double-edged sword of truth. Jesus is the lamb who lights up heaven with God's glory. Jesus is the one who is the alpha and the omega. Jesus is the one who is the beginning and the end. Jesus is the one who is the bright morning star. Jesus is the one who has eyes like fiery flames and whose feet are like polished bronze. He can go to hell and back and not get burned. Jesus is the one who opens doors no one can shut and shuts doors no one can open. Jesus is the one who has conquered all our enemies. Jesus is the one countless angels praise in a loud voice. Worthy is the lamb who was killed to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and praise. Jesus loves us like no one else can. Jesus set us free from our sins at the cost of his own blood. Jesus is the slaughtered lamb that reigns forever. Jesus is the one who purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation with his life. Jesus knows our deeds. Jesus knows our labor for his kingdom. Jesus knows our love, faith, service, and steadfast endurance. Jesus knows that we are weak. Jesus knows our distresses, our suffering, our poverty, and our real wealth in his grace. Jesus knows where we live, where Satan's throne is. Jesus knows. And Jesus, Jesus is the king of kings. <laughs> King Jesus is the faithful witness. King Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. King Jesus is the Son of God. King Jesus is the Holy One. King Jesus is the true one. King Jesus is the faithful and true witness. King Jesus is the originator of God's creation. Who is Jesus? King Jesus is the ruler over all the rulers of the earth and the universe. 
Jesus is our true and glorious king of everything and everyone. So, here's the sermon in a sentence. It's time to doubt our doubts. Since Jesus is the glorious king of everything and everyone, it is time to doubt our doubts. When we deny or don't recognize our lack of faith, it keeps Jesus from doing everything that he could do and wants to do in and through us. We begin to doubt that he can do anything then because, well, he's not doing anything, so then he, he can't do it. And so we begin to think he can't do anything in and through us. But the Holy Spirit moves in response to our honest confession and he overcomes our unbelief. He, the Holy Spirit, helps us doubt our doubts. How do we do that? How do we doubt our doubts? I'm so glad you asked. So here we go. Pray what I call the Honest Father's Prayer. One of my favorite stories, even growing up, it was one of my favorite stories to hear in Sunday school. The father brought his son to Jesus and said, his son had had this terrible problem all his life, and he said, if you can help. And Jesus goes, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. And the father goes, I do believe. Help my unbelief. That's the prayer of the honest father. I honestly believe, but over, help me overcome my unbelief. I have doubts. I have questions. I have fears. I'm not sure. Help me overcome my doubts. But if we sit there around just going, I don't have any doubts. I don't have any questions. I am totally sure. I'm totally confident. We're living in denial. You got a problem. First thing we're going to do, if we're going to overcome our doubts, if we're going to, if we're going to doubt our doubts, we got to pray the honest Father's prayer. I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And the second thing we need to do is praise Jesus out loud. Praise him out loud. One of my favorite singers, Christian singers, says, we don't worship God because life is good. Which is good, because life in this world stinks. It's broken. It's full of trouble and pain. If you're not sure, just listen to a few country songs. You'll get it figured out. <laughs> They're honest, at least. Okay. We don't worship God because life is good. We worship Jesus because he is good. <clears throat> he is for us. Proclaim your confidence in the Holy Spirit. Everything is possible for one who believes. That's what Jesus said. 
Everything is possible for one who believes. Did you hear me say that? Everything is possible for one who believes. I want you to say it out loud with me. Everything is possible for one who believes. That's pretty good. Let's do it one more time. Everything is possible for one who believes. Do whatever it takes to get that phrase into the conversations, blazing, engraved into your thinking, your everyday life. It's, it's the genetic code of faith. <coughs> get in the habit of writing it down anywhere and everywhere. Doodle it. If you're a singer, sing it. Charles Wesley. You know, we're, we're in a Wesleyan church. John and Charles Wesley are kind of the founders of the, our branch of the church family. And Charles Wesley wrote a song uh, about faith that I can't remember now. Faith mighty, faith the promise sees and looks to that alone. Laughs at impossibilities and cries it shall be done. And cries it shall, it shall be done. And cries it shall be done. Laughs at impossibilities and cries it shall be done. Everything is possible. Those who believe. Because... They said, not my will, but yours be done. It's time to doubt our doubts. Everything is possible to the one who believes because Jesus is our true and glorious king of everything. And our king reigns in righteousness, peace, and joy. I'm inviting you to join me in singing, not the song that I barely remembered, but a song that is going to kick off our Advent season. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. No more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Why did he come? Did you hear catch that? He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Everything is possible for one who believes because our God reigns. Our king is on the throne. And he's praying for us. Let's stand as we sing joy to the world. The Lord has come.
peace, have courage, hold on to what is good, return blessings for evil, strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering, honor everyone, love and serve like Jesus, rejoicing in the power of his Holy Spirit. Because frankly, that's the only way you're going to be able to do all that. Go, you're sent with Jesus. <laughs>